Hi everyone and welcome to the Spencer Lodge podcast in partnership with Najahi Events, an awesome event company here in the UAE. Now, if you want to know how to make money in the catering, food, restaurant and retail food experience industry, or maybe it's not that at all, maybe it's the tech industry, then listen up for the next guy I'm about to podcast. Cue the music. So Ian, first of all, thank you so much for taking the time. Busy CEO, been here a long time, but I, you know, trying to get a guy as, as kind of busy and successful as you into the studio has been a bit difficult. Yeah, that was probably my scheduling, but uh, yeah, <laughs> good to be here finally. So you and I met recently at another event where we were in your offices with uh, Adrian Grenier. Yeah. Um, the, as people might not know who Adrian Grenier is, I didn't. I only know him as Vinnie Chase out of uh, Entourage. And I think you and I were... We're probably more starstruck around him than anybody it's else. My favorite. I mean, it, it sounds cliche, but it, it's honest to God, my favorite show. I've watched it so many times, and I, you almost feel embarrassed to say it to him, but it was genuine, so it was a great show. <laughs> Absolutely. There's other, I was telling my kids that evening, oh, yeah, I was really yeah, yeah. They're like, who? <laughs> yeah, Who's that? So, um, um, and we were talking about um, uh, sustainability on that day, okay? Uh, Adrian, obviously working with the UN and the work that you're doing with um, not using plastic. Mm-hmm. But... Although we met that way, I was quite interested when I saw your business and I saw the kind of unconventional type of character that I found you to be. Um, <laughs> That's very kind. <laughs> and and, and I, I find that quite, you know, I say that in a really positive way because when I, when I met you, I didn't realize you had a background of, you know, um, KPMG and corporates and that kind of stuff. I just thought that you must have been this Harley Davidson riding, renegade type entrepreneur that is that has kind of learned from the school of Harley knocks but that's not the case is it no i started i was very much a corporate guy um both my parents were teachers so you know academic was important um spent a lot of time with kpmg arthur anderson um but i always felt that uh, so i I always classify classify myself as a later in life entrepreneur um and it was so it's almost harder to do when you're older but but you're better equipped you know to, to to manage it um, but it was, uh, yeah, it was a later in life opportunity and, um, you know, spurred on with a little luck and, uh, and uh, a support of a, of a loving wife that <laughs> allowed me to take a chance and encouraged me to take a chance. So does, does, does she have, uh, like, in writing on the wall above your bed, tolerance and endurance? Is that what goes on? Yeah, it's, it's it probably different things than that, but... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's definitely a lot of tolerance and a lot of endurance. The unsung heroes of entrepreneurs, I think, are your better halves who have to put up with you know the the ups and downs that that you go through. And um, it's the obsessiveness. It, of it, it is. Well, it's, it's, it? it's pure obsessiveness. Yeah. When you try and you know, and we don't talk about the wives very often or the or the partners very often. Often it's kind of like focus on the business and what you've done, what you've achieved, and that kind of stuff. But the fact that you just brought it up means to me that that. that that maybe there is a huge amount that someone has to cope with when they cope with a, a genuine entrepreneur. Yeah, I think, I mean, you know, my wife is probably the, you know, the, the biggest unsung hero in everything that I've done and the biggest support in everything that I've done. Uh, I really couldn't do it or really wouldn't, I, to be honest, I wouldn't want to do it without her um, and without the, you know, my family's support. It wouldn't, wouldn't mean very much to me, you know, to, it's not about money or, you know, it's about, and it's about uh, doing it for our family and for the things that we do together. And, um, but yeah, I mean, she puts up with a lot of, uh, you know, she's a sounding board. When you're an entrepreneur, there's not that many people that you can speak to honestly and, you know, like, I mean, completely bare naked, honest, you know, because, you know, there's certain things you have to portray as a business person, but your, your spouse is one of those people that you can have very honest conversations with. Um, you know, and so, the, and, and I think that's probably the only person that, you know, that I can really have those conversations with. And then it's a very, and they know you the best, they know how to manage you the best. Um, and it's not necessarily fair to them because they, the burden falls on them, but, but it's, it's, uh, it's, it, it is the strength that, you know, creates, uh, I think, uh, an entrepreneur is, is their spouse. Mm. I think I want to I want to spend a bit more time talking about that in a minute. But before I do, can you, for the benefit of our audience, uh, everybody knows Freedom Pizza here in Dubai. I mean, it's, a, it's a it's a brand that everyone knows. But Crush Brands owns a number of brands. So please yeah. tell us tell us about your business. Okay, when it started, what it is, what it means, and you know, what, how do you consume your life around sure. it? Sure. So we started our business in two thousand and nine. So I had actually sold my last company off with my two partners 
managed to Jones Lang LaSalle in end of 2006. So I had to stay with them for three years. What business was it? It was a real estate investment business. And okay. that was a good time in Dubai. And, and we, we were all sort of, we, it was right place, right time, right people. In two and a half years, we built up the, you know, a very big business and a very, very robust economy. Um, and we sold to Jones Lang LaSalle end of 2006. Um, three years later, I, you know, I had to stay with them for three years. Um, Lehman Brothers recession hit. You know, it's um, okay, guys. Can you now, you know, start to let go of all the people that we've been hiring? <laughs> and you know, it seemed like a good time to sort of part company. Um, I didn't really want to do that, and it wasn't a, you know, there wasn't a lot of growth or opportunity. My daughter was just born, and decided to sort of take some time off. And um, I think we were chatting earlier. That's when I took my suits off and, <laughs> and they, I think they're still gathering dust in my closet. Um, but there, there'll be a wedding and a funeral yeah. to attend at some stage. I'm still, I'm still not sure I'll put them on. But, <laughs> um, but so I, then I, I sort of, I took about six months off. My daughter was born, spent a lot of time with her and really enjoyed it. Um, got overly comfortable. And my wife at some point was like, you're, you are going to go back to work right? at some point, you know, please go back to work because I don't want you around the house. <laughs> You're spending way too much time here. So I ended up, um, uh, you know, looking around and I came across a company in the States called Naked Pizza. And that, you know, was very interesting when I, I saw them being interviewed, the founders on Bloomberg one night and I was just about to go to sleep. Um, you know, sort of had the TV on in the background, eyes closed. And I heard one of the founders being interviewed during Entrepreneur Week in New Orleans. And uh, I was sort of really intrigued by the things that they were saying about, you know, uh, their mission, to, you know, to create, make healthier food available to everybody, um, their use of social media, you know, their, and, the, and this was also after Hurricane Katrina. And so there was a lot of really interesting things. Um, and it sounded like it made a lot of sense. And uh, so I wrote to them the next day. Um, and uh, they, uh, they both, both of the partners wrote back to me um, within a few hours, and uh, we, had a, we were on a conference call, and um, I, they said, well, what, what, do you, what do you guys want to do now? And they had one store at the time in New Orleans, and I said, well, they said, well, we can come see you. They said, but it'd be better if you came to see us. So I got on a plane the next day, and I flew to Houston, um, rented. I always wanted to go to New Orleans, so it sounded interesting, and my wife was supportive. Her, her parents were there, and we I took a motorbike from Houston to New Orleans, and I spent a week with them and um, got along you know, really, really well. I um, really appreciated what they're doing. Um, their mission became very important. You know, it wasn't just talk, it was real. Um, and it was their driving force. And the three of them were really interesting partners, great entrepreneurs. And so I took a chance on doing something with them. And that's how my pizza journey began um, and then became uh, an investor in the company and the first franchisee outside of their, their one store. Mm-hmm. Um, and they had sold a bunch of other franchises and they were sort of blowing up. But they were really amazing entrepreneurs. And so that's where I started, and I opened up uh, Naked Pizza here. Um, did it for about five years, uh, very successful. They were pushed out of their own company um, by investors, um, and uh, I won't. It, it, there were some big investors <laughs> that they had managed to attract, and the, you know the company kind of languished, and it was suffering everywhere in the U.S. And we were doing very well, and I became very independent because they weren't supporting us. Um, and it reached a point where, you know, it got sold another time and, um, it, uh, reached a point where the franchisor was not, uh, we did some egregious things and we were forced to terminate the arrangement and Freedom Pizza was born. So, okay. That's how it started. Yeah. And that was the first brand. That was the first brand. And then we moved over to, uh, so, and in that process, we, I was becoming stronger because I was forced to either to do everything that normally a franchisor would do we were doing we had chefs we had you know we were doing all of that and it was kind of fun and i kind of liked that so you know the, their weakness became our strength um to a large extent and near the end you know they were asking us for everything that they should have been providing and so but it made me think a little bit about you know and so when we when we uh, when we rebranded to our own brand which was freedom pizza um we already had this strong core team we had some know-how um and we um, and we decided to grow that business. So we rebranded, reestablished the brand, um, then uh, brought in an, a chef from Los Angeles. I purchased a company called Coco Yogo about a year and a half ago. We were their biggest customer. It's an all-vegan um, company. They make great products. Um, so we ended up buying them as we became their largest customer. And we see veganism as a, you know, and plant-based foods as a, not just a trend, but a, it's, a, it's a paradigm shift in eating globally. Um, then we uh, opened another concept called Wildflower Poke in 
second more. Um, we've got two of those open now. We're working on a third um, with our chef from Los Angeles. And now uh, we just purchased the salad jar. We closed about six weeks ago. We closed the we closed on the deal. We closed down the operation, and we're going to relaunch it in January on our own platform. And I also have another company in Hungary called um, uh, Big Dwarf, which is does all of our tech and our online. So I don't know if that answered your question. Or yeah, it does. You look like you were nodding off there. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I wanted to make sure you got that out. So you load me up with questions on the back of that. You talk, you talk about the fact that you're a tech company more than you are essentially a food retail business or a, or a restaurant mm -hmm. business. And for anybody that buys your pizzas or gets any of your food, just like I showed you earlier, the lady that bought your cake, yeah. your, 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 your vegan cake uh, shop, People would think you're you're in the food, you're in the the restaurant business more so than being a tech company. So, what makes you a tech company? Everything we do is driven by tech. Whether that's the way we work as a team, um, you know, as in our corporate team and our team in general. Um, but we've built all of our own online platforms, and I, I, I'm not a tech person by background, but I, I'm very easily frustrated, which makes me a great <laughs> sort of test case, I think. So, um, you know, and I I got into tech. Uh, the real reason I got into tech is we used to fly our buildings, okay? Not very environmentally friendly, um, but at the time very effective, and we're probably a large part of the reason why it was stopped in most locations. Oh, really? You used to do a lot of it? We used to do a lot of it, and that's how we lay, lay five pieces of paper with your menu on well, there? Yeah, it looked nice, and there was a lot of nice stuff on it, but yeah, we used to put out a lot of paper. And okay. what occurred to me then, and it was very effective, but what occurred to me then was that this is not sustainable, it's not environmentally friendly, and uh, it's not something that we're going to be allowed to do, nor should be allowed to do. And so I'm going to have to figure out another way to reach our customers and we're in the delivery business so most people don't even know where our stores are mm -hmm. you know you know we we find them so if i can't flyer them and I, you know and we don't do that you know what digital became the next way to do that and this was you know six seven eight years ago and and so i started looking for ways to you know to create digital platforms and you know i i experimented with a couple in our business what it be, what became very clear to me is that and I also realized the things that I wanted our tech to be able to do. And tech is very disjointed. You know, you have different platforms. They don't speak to each other. Mm. And for a business to function properly, and, and the, the tech companies that do what we want to, them to do, you know, they're trying to please many masters because their job is to provide a tech platform for many companies. Mm -hmm. I had a very specific, and, and if I had to ask them, I want to do this, you know, can you make the system do this? I said, oh, that's a great idea. Uh, we'll schedule it, you know, for three years from now. And, you know, and, and it's sort of a, and then, you know, and so you, and I'm, all I'm doing is informing their system and three years from now, it's not going to matter. You know, mm -hmm. the, you know, we would have been well past that. So I realized very quickly that this was not the answer, um, made some mistakes with different developers um, about how we could build some things and then found some partners um, that I really liked and we got along really well and very talented and so I ended up forming a company with them in Budapest that's where they're from um, and they have very talented developers there and we've got an amazing team of folks so everything we do is based around that tech platform the way we interact with our customers and that tech platform is a is a living breathing 24 hour a day it's a baby you know and it's so and that, you know that's what I realized early on it's not just a platform this is something that evolves with us every single day um, we can react from customer feedback, you know, from customer feedback to, uh, you know, to implementation could be, you know, hours because we we're you know, we're, we're this is and, that, and all our team does is works on our platform. So this is super critical to reach our customer, communicate with our customer and uh, and create convenience for our customer. And the convenience is the I believe is the is the early panacea of how people want food and beverage to be. You know, the days of I get, you know, I, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner are long gone, you know, at home and the days of uh, going out for meals is long gone, you know, on occasion, you know, so it's people now want food everywhere all the time. And we want all that choice anywhere we are, you know, so and that's what I believe is a future of food and eating. And it, you can see that around the world and technology allows allows us to bridge that gap. With the, the, the advent of companies like Talabat and Deliveroo and the Zomato, mm -hmm. that, that only cements what you're saying even further, doesn't well, I think it? It's, it's, I think it's actually, it, it, most industries are disrupting, you know, they're, who's the most likely candidate to actually disrupt your own industry? It's somebody in the industry. Yeah. But industries are slow to the game. 
don't understand, you know, so all these companies to me are the symptom of the problem. The problem is our industry didn't realize. But it, I think I mean, it's a really good point you make there because I, I find that fascinating when you take the real estate industry and you go back to, I mean, we have a property finder in Bayou here, mm -hmm. but if you go back to the UK with Prime Location and um, Zoopla and stuff, okay, why was that not the birth child, so yeah. the brainchild of the guy that owned Knight Frank? Yeah. Why was that not the brainchild it's, it's of the guy that owned Cuts? And, and it, to them, it's the most foreign thing in the world and they're the first to reject it yeah um it, it is it's fascinating maybe you're just too you know engaged in you know what you think your business is you know that, and that's a danger right mm -hmm. i mean you know like and today to, even today the food and beverage industry is still way behind in terms of even reacting to this phenomenon because you know our whole industry is being disrupted um and it's the the, the simple truth is this is what our customers want this is what they've wanted for a long time and we as an industry haven't reacted and well, so, you didn't even ask. Yeah, yeah, correct. Yeah, <laughs> no, it was a big surprise to yeah. people that it actually. Uh, I mean, when I first uh, opened here, I was the first to offer credit card uh, online credit card payment in our industry, and everybody thought I was crazy. It, it actually took me eighteen months to even be able to do it, you know, because there weren't provide, you know, it was very difficult to set up for delivery and all these types of things. And everyone told me it wasn't going to work. You know, nobody's going to give you their credit card online. <laughs> so I, I swear, I remember having these conversations. And I, you know, and I remember saying, well, where, you know, I, I looked at a study and it said, where is, you know, where is credit card in the Middle East, you know, most frequently? It was that it was weird. It was on, uh, it was online, like, you know, like it was the Amazons and things like that at the time. So people were ordering because it was international and it was cinemas. And I remember thinking, you know, like why cinemas here? It's because it was available. Right? Yeah. It was simple. And people were saying, no, 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 it's only cinemas. And, and I said, it's, it's at cinema. But why is it cinemas? It's only in cinemas because they offer it. And, and so people like it, you know. So as soon as we went on, you know, with credit card, you know, we, we were at 20%, you know, now it's things like 70 or 80% credit card rate. Um, so, you know, the, the customer is ready and willing and able. They want convenience. They want it now. They want it in the right way. They want it to be safe and secure. But um, yeah, our industry is, and to this day, still way behind the curve and if you imagine what's happened in that industry in that food delivery industry over the course of the last five years and then imagine where it will be in 10 years time it's frightening because they're saying it's going to double globally i think it's a 10 billion it's sorry it's more than 10 it's 10 billion in aggregator revenue alone around the world today and they think it's going to double by 2025 so, so is that is that just going to make us i mean is that going to make us more and more insular i don't think so because for me one of the best things about eating is the conversation yeah. and when when you have food delivered you eliminate a lot of the conversation you eliminate everything yeah <laughs> just, you, just you and your food yeah. and your phone yeah and your phone yeah. <laughs> um and so you know, people using social media all the time, we notice that if you go into a restaurant nowadays, people are staring at their phones way more than ever, even couples on a romantic date. And then you take the fact that food can be delivered home rather than people going to the restaurant. Is it not, are we not just creating a situation that's going to stop us communicating? I don't think that's going to be the end result. I think I, I look at well, this, what is the end result? So, be? well, I think we're, we're, in, we're in a process, right? If you think about it, you know, five years ago, you know, delivery was generally difficult, mostly pizza companies, if at all, um, poor, inconsistent. You know, that was that was five, six, seven years ago. Um, today, I, and I think what's happened is we became, as consumers, drunk on convenience, right? Because people said, oh, no, you can have anything you want at any time, right? And you can have it delivered to your door and, you know, and you have all this choice now that you didn't have. So I think convenience trumped everything. You know, I, I'll, convenience was more important than quality, brand, and all those types of things and experience. And I think that we're heading, and it's already happening, we're heading back to experience. And so technology is becoming commoditized. You know, once it's universally available and consumers expect it, then, then the emphasis of it goes away in the sense that that's not what we're after. We're not just after convenience. We still, I think as humans, and this is my personal view, we still crave experience. We still crave interaction. We still crave, um, it, we want to be valued, you know, and, and we're interested in, uh, you know, I, th I think most people genuinely want to do business or you know, prefer to give, do business with companies that they care about or that they think are, you know, they can relate to. And I think all that's going to come back. And I think so technology is going to fade into the background, not because it's not important, but because it's universally available. Um, it's taken for granted. Yeah. And I, so I think we're I think we're starting to round that corner now towards convenience. And it's, you know, it's simple things like, you know, why can't you? And if you think about it in retail. You know, Apple Apple stores do something very interesting. You interact with an individual with with what is 
you know, now like the Atari of, you know, you know that's a very old mm-hmm. reference. We, we know that. We know that, but I'm sorry about it. <laughs> if everybody out there listening, Atari was a brand that was around in the 70s and the 80s. <laughs> yeah, but it was, you know, but, but they, you know, they, but they actually transact with you over this, you know, phone-like device, right, mm-hmm. in the store. There's no cashier, right? Why are, I mean, that, to me, that's universe, that's, that's brilliant, but it's, it's very basic and every retailer should be doing it, but they're still not doing it. You know, so the idea that your phone becomes the, uh, the conduit for wherever you are and however you wish to transact, I think is the future. So I want to, if I walk into a restaurant, I don't know about you, but I hate the act of pain. There's two things about that I really hate, all right? And th- this is my honest, I, I hate the uncomfortableness yeah. of who's going to pay the oh, bill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I always just pay I'm it. I'm the same, 100%. I, I, don't even, I, I, I put my card down before I even yeah. uh, get you sit down. I'd, I'd rather go to the bathroom and drop it off on yeah. the way and get it done rather than have that. that. 100%. Okay, yeah. right. So on the same page there. And, so and also I, even the act of... Yeah, can, giving like, a credit I, I card. Actually, someone I coming find over. it so archaic. You yeah. Know, like, you know, like, you know, do you want me to, you know, cut and, you know, sign with my blood? You know, so it's actually archaic. Like, you know, like the, one of the things, I, I'm not a big fan of Uber, but one of the things I love is I can walk out of the, the Uber service without doing anything. Yeah. And it's billed to me, right? And I think, so I think I want to be able to walk in, a rest, in and out of a restaurant and the restaurant should know if I give them permission, should know who I am, right? What I like, you know, and they should have a record of all those things. And, you know, welcome back, Mr. Ohan. I still believe in these sort of old school hospitality ideas. I want to be acknowledged as a customer and I, and I want to be, and, and I don't, you know, the act of pain is so archaic to me. Yeah. It's like today, you know, we still sign checks and things like that. You know, oh, it's, it's a, no, but, but these are, like, <laughs> these nuts, are things that we take for granted, but, but there, there's actually no, there's no need for it anymore. Mm-hmm. And so I think a lot of industries have gone away from that. So I, th- I think all that stuff's going to go away. And I think your phone is going to be your passport for everything that you do. And, uh, and the technology will fade to the background. And it's fascinating when you think about what tech's doing. I find, I find the, the insurance industry, the medical insurance industry oh, oh my God, fascinating yeah. Yeah. because when you, when you consider the, 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 the premium is down to the health and wellness of the individuals. Which they know nothing about. And I've known Nothing about that's right. Yeah. So how do you measure it? I was having so, this conversation the other day with somebody, and it's just you know, I mean, like Apple, I, you know, Apple Health is actually the most fascinating thing in the world because you know, the, you know, today we walk into a doctor and they said, well, when you know, I'm not feeling well. Well, when did this start? I don't know. You know, a couple of weeks, and it, you start. I mean, it's it's almost uh, it's ridiculous the conversation you have with your doctor. Yeah. What did you feel? I don't know. It was a bit of a you know, and it's like you know, <laughs> but you have no data. You know, you have no you have no understanding, no history, yeah. no you know, and, and you and you're starting from scratch and I'm 49 years old, you know, and, you know, so, and, they, and they're starting from today, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, where's, you know, but today, you know, I, I, you know, my heart data, you know, all, why isn't all that data available, you know, in my... That, that, that's what I think, well, it's already happening in Scandinavia. You can't get medical insurance with some companies unless you have the chip inserted in you. Wow, yeah. Well, so every employee within the company has to have the chip and it either goes here yeah. or somewhere around here and it goes in there and then it measures everything yeah. and so that the health insurance company then can know yeah. for all of their premiums and it's preventative it's beneficial to the employer sure, as well yeah. because, you know, the key man risk if someone's got yeah. high blood pressure and all that kind of stuff and so but to see where that's going how fascinating that is but again it's so archaic still i mean this technology has existed for two decades probably to be able to do this right and, you know, in some form or another and we're still not there yeah yeah we're still not there <laughs> when you look at when you look at the whole entrepreneurial space i've said that on a thousand times on 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 not a thousand podcasts i've done 50 60 of them but on I often have this word entrepreneur that's banded around and you and I are precisely the same age. And so I was with my friend Maha the other day and she's a, she, she was 50 last month. So we're all in that kind of age group. And that word never existed, entrepreneur. What did that mean? I don't even know. I don't even know if anybody ever said that when yeah, I was in my early 20s. It would have sounded very pretentious. <laughs> Is that a French bloke? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Entre, who's he? Um, and so we, it was just like small business people or sole traders, we were called in the UK, and, uh, you know, had his own business. And it wasn't really admired. It was almost No, it was like, like, that yeah. was a struggle, you <laughs> yeah, know. That was right, a struggle. Yeah. That was kind of like, why are you doing oh, that? Yeah. man, you're a contractor. Yeah. And, and there, there were obviously people that made it and people that didn't, but it, there wasn't, there's no glamour around it. But you're a successful entrepreneur. You also described, described yourself as an entrepreneur that started later in life. Okay, I'll call you a middle-aged entrepreneur for, <laughs> fine, the, fine. <laughs> for the sake that we're probably both there. And 
when I when I when I look at that word, I I find myself as I've got two daughters, seventeen and twenty, really kind of like protective around them, not wanting to think that's cool. Yeah. And I know it's hard to, to to get young people to agree with older people, but I just don't think it's cool because I don't think an entrepreneur's life is an awful lot of fun. You spoke earlier about your wife having to endure <laughs> and support. Yeah. You went from corporate America or corporate what? Corporate Canada, hit, Canada. Canada, sorry. Corporate Canada and salary every month. Hit your bank account. Bonus once a year, I'm sure. Hit your bank account. Um, medical insurance paid. Flights on a business trip paid. Hotel booking, PA, all that kind of stuff. All, all taken for granted. Okay. All, the, uh, all you had to do was to turn up in your suit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And everything else was taken care of. Well, not everything, but lots. Yeah. And to go from that and then to go into this, this world of risk and danger. <laughs> me, yeah. Because that's what it is, isn't it? It's it risk, is it's danger, it's failure, yeah. it's pain, it's loneliness, it's, um, it's heartache. And for some... Okay, all of that's worth it. Yeah. But for most, all of that isn't. I, I always compare entrepreneurism to sort of jumping out of a plane um, because it's sort of one of those things that you're, you know, you're very scared about. There's no reason to do it. <laughs> There's no rational reason to do it, right? Um, and you know, the, the fear is all you know, as you lead up to that moment, and, and I've done this once in my life, and uh, I remember feeling very, very uncomfortable, you know, uh, as we were sort of ascending, um, and I, but I remember that moment when I left the plane, um, where everything just, you know, the fear went away, and it became, the, the excitement of it took over, and the joy of it took over. And, and it, was, it, was just, it was an instantaneous transition, mm -hmm. and that, and because the decision was already made, <laughs> You couldn't get back in the about it, yeah. yeah. And I think that entrepreneur, like that entrepreneurial moment, is a bit like that. For anyway, that's how it was for me. It was just once you're out, you uh, there's this wonderment, and, and you can never put that back in the bottle. And so, but what comes with that is, uh, you know, and, and it's that wonderment that I think drives me. So, what's possible? It's about creating something from nothing. You know, that's that's the exciting part. But it it is it is a day in day out 24 hour a day seven day a week um mind seizure you know <laughs> it just it, it has it, it because there's so much to like to to sustain that you know it, it, what's interesting is i'm driven by what's possible right you know whereas i think when if you work for in a corporation and i've worked in corporations it's not about what's possible it's about what's expected of you right and those are two different things right but when you're driven by what's possible there's no bound to that. You're only you're limited by your brain, and so your energy gets you know, and it requires an incredible amount of energy. If you see something's possible, it requires an incredible amount of energy to get there, um, and it's and it's consuming, and and it affects the people around you. It affects your life, um, and it's and it's a, you know to the young people that want to be out there. I mean, you know, people sometimes ask, what's the key to entrepreneur? I think it's persistence. Mm -hmm. right? I mean, how do you just keep going? You know, because there's great times and there's bad times, and as I've you know, done this for a while, uh, it's never as good as it feels and it's never as bad as it, as, as it <laughs> seems, right? And, you know, and it's, all, it's usually somewhere in between and you've developed this. So, but you have these massive highs and lows. And I think that's why, like, for my partner, my, my wife, right, it's so, because she has to, you know, watch me and manage me or deal with me as I go through these highs and lows. The, the problem I have is that I, I'm addicted to these highs and lows. So as much as, you know, you don't like when, when things aren't going the way you'd like, it actually drives you further, and, and it gives me that. Uh, it's it's almost like an ad an addiction. It's like an adrenaline. Yeah, addiction. but it's it's based around your personality type, uh, in, in most cases, because I I, yeah, I had a very stable job, and you know, like I, <laughs> I had you know when I left, my actually it was actually my wife. She looked at me. You know, I, I used to wake up every morning, and it just sort of it was this constant. So it was a deterioration in, in sort of well-being to the point where I woke up one morning and my, you know, this is while I was still with JLL and they're a great company and I had a great job and I had the, you know, you know, great, everything, right? And, and it, but it was funny. And so in my mind, I'm thinking, you got everything, you know, you got everything. Everyone's jealous of you. Everybody wants what you have. Um, but I woke up every morning and it was just deteriorating in my own mind. What, yeah. And and I, I, I remember I, I, I was I got up one morning and I was I and I got, I was a bit emotional and my wife looked at me and she said what what's wrong and I said I don't want to go to work and um, and she said why not I said I hate it you know it, it's not the company you know I don't want to be clear it's not the company I just hate the corporate you know it's, mm -hmm. it's just not it's destroying me inside you know mm -hmm. and she said quit so I quit. <laughs> mm. So it's interesting you say that my journey's different. I was I was the 
essentially for many years the number two and before that the number three in a business that was growing quite dramatically and being the number two or number three was a place that I was able to excel mm -hmm. because there were some big decisions that I didn't have to make. Yeah, the crown's heavy when you... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and so when I then left all of that and then I set my businesses all up, I found that being an entrepreneur or being a business owner, whatever you want to bloody call it, um, I found it really lonely. It, 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 actually, it's funny, my, my father, who's an academic his whole life, he said to me the day I did, he said, you know, it's, he said, I don't know how he didn't probably write it, but he said, <laughs> he said, being an entrepreneur is one of the loneliest places you can be. And it is. Yeah. It's, and, and, and you know, it, 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 and it, it's it, what I find is that it's at night. When I, when I, you know, when I'm going to bed, that's when you're alone with your thoughts. And that's when it's, that's when, you know, that's when I feel the most alone because, you know, that's when you can sort of percolate, you know, what's happened during the course of the day and what you have to do tomorrow. And, and that's when, you know, that's when I find that, and that's, I don't sleep very well, you know, and, and, that's, and that's, I mean, that's my nature anyway. Mm. But Me too. Four, I, four I and a half hours a yeah, night. Yeah, I get up at, yeah, I, I need eight, but I get up at, you know, three, four in the morning most days. Um, and I, and I, you know, and I, I like that, but um, but it's at night that I have a hard time. That that's when it feels the loneliest because you know when you're with people during the day and you're activated and you're excited, you know that keeps you through. But it's at you're night. You're responsible for so many other people's yeah, lives, correct, aren't you? Yeah. That, that's a heavy burden to wear, and sometimes uh, other people can't see some of the the potential challenges that you're dealing yes, with, and so right. they're skipping. And it's not their the job to do that, and, no. and you can't share that with them. And well, no. you could, but there's no point in it. Yeah, and there's no value in sharing that with them. Yeah, um, you're in some ways you're you're their unspoken guardian right and that's that's and that's your burden to mm. to mm. to bear it is i think i think that i think that people just need like with all of these things i think they need need to really really think and you know, there, there, there was this talk when i was younger that part, you should never go into partnership with someone partnerships right, always yeah, dangerous right. it won't work out well there's plenty of partnerships that have worked out as many as there are that, that haven't worked out so i think it's a way too way too easily mentioned but sometimes having being an entrepreneur that's part of a team where each one of the three, four, five of you have your role and responsibilities, and maybe you're not equal shareholders, but you're all shareholders yeah. in that way, um, gives you, gives you bit, a bit more balance than doing it. And a lot of people don't have all the skills they need to be Correct. successful. Yeah. And so, so, and then what they do is they start thinking about how much money it's going to cost to get the other skills on board. Right, so yeah. then they just give that up and make a bad job of doing it themselves. Yeah. Fair? Yeah. Um, but finding people around you that genu genuinely have talent in areas that yeah. you don't, yeah. that can bring something that you can't, and respecting that yeah. and allowing them to lead in that area, I think just would make the journey for so many more people. You know, the, the, the most, one of the most important skills is to know what you're not good at. <laughs> You know, I mean, because because then you can fill those gaps, right? If you know what you're not good at, and like you said, you can try. I mean, we can all do a, you know, an average to poor job of everything, right? I mean, more or less. But you know, the things that you're not good at. I mean, there's some things you have to learn the hard way um, that are yours and yours alone to to bear. But um, you know, for good or for bad. But there's other things that you know, people are just so much better than you at, and and. It's knowing that and appreciating it and respecting that talent and what that adds to the company and to what you're doing. That's super important. If you had to take someone on in a senior position in your business and you had the choice between the young, naive, highly driven individual, okay, and the guy that was maybe a bit older, not old, but a bit older, but had failed a couple of times and been through that hurt and pain, if you had to choose everything else being equal, do you think you'd lean into the guy that might have been through a bit of pain or you'd go for the young naive? I'd go one? for the young because I, uh, and it's, it's a, it's a very um, apropos because we're actually going through this transition in our company as well. The transition, but we've made some of those decisions in the last while about where we want to be as a company. And I think um, the, what I find is that, so I've made some pretty important decisions in the last little while. Um, really around, and it's, and the decision came down to ethos and, uh, you know, so the, if, you know, that seasoned individual, if they share the ethos, you know, wholly and truly, then I would choose that person. But if they don't, you know, if they don't have that, you know, cause the culture and the ethos of the company, I think is, you know, for me, that trumps everything. Um, and, you know, we've hired a bunch of, uh, 30 somethings, you know, young thirties, late twenties people in the last little while, and they're all amazing. 
that we gel well together. My job, you know, I start to feel a bit old because I'm the guy that kind of, you know, that knows a few things. That, you know, but my job is to help. <laughs> you, them. you knew a guy like you, yeah, once, yeah, didn't yeah. You? yeah. <laughs> it didn't seem very long ago. But 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 you know, what I find is that my job is to give them vision and opportunity, and and to support them in what they're doing, but then let them just knock it out of the park, right? And you know, and I I would rather do that than try and. You, you can't train that in somebody, even if you can't train ethos or culture. I, I don't, I mean, it's hard no, to I do. I think you're right. So we're, we're our, and our culture today as a company is, you know, I think we're, it's, it's, I love going, I, I love working with our team. Like our team is so much fun. I'm not, I'm the, we're, and we are a team. I'm, I'm there to serve them. You know, you know, you know, we're, we operate very collaboratively um, and it's about tasks and, you know, how we do things and we're very transparent, very open and, and it's a nice environment and it's a very, and, it, and we just do stupid, like, the, the question that, what I love is the questions that we ask isn't why should we do it, it's why shouldn't we do it? Mm. And that's, that's a fun place to be, right? Mm. And, and that's, that's, that's for the youth, right? There's a mm. hundred reasons, especially as you get older, not to do something. But if you can ask the question, why shouldn't we do this, right? And because, you know, maybe it takes more effort, maybe it won't work. All right, let's try it. You know, tell me, tell me about some of the mistakes you made that in the things that you regret doing along the way because you would have made a ton of mistakes. But what ones stand out for you that are proper howlers that um, that you should have known better? So I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you the, the I'm gonna give you the, the honest answer. The honest answer is that I don't, I actually never feel that I've made mistakes, and and that's not because I haven't made mistakes. I've made decisions that that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> so, I don't know if that, your audience are probably going, that's probably a pretty thin distinction, but no, because I don't feel that, like, I always feel like I, I, I mean, there were, there were mistakes. I mean, there's no question I've made mistakes, but, but I always feel that it's part of the journey. And I have this theory that you should never make any decision that could have a, you know, could have a material impact on what you're doing. You put that decision off until you feel, till, as long as you can, until you feel that you have the answer. All the other things, you know, let's... <laughs> Let's let's have a crack at it and see you know you know because you know let's make the best decision at the time because you know as an entrepreneur you make you know hundred decisions you know an hour sometimes right so so you know but you can't be hung up on a lot of these things I'm trying to think I mean I don't I I don't I never look back on anything as a mistake I look at it as an as a learning and and I can't, I genuinely can't think of a like a, an example of something where I thought well that was really stupid. well how, how long have you had the, the Freedom Pizza. Uh, Freedom Pizza about five years, but I've been doing food and beverage about ten years. Yeah. Okay, but Freedom Pizza is five years yeah. old. So let's say you had Freedom Pizza today, and it was day one. Or you're going back five years, sorry, and we're starting again. And with all the all that you know now, what what kind of what kind of fundamentals would you do differently, or would you not? I wouldn't. I, I don't think there's. A, I, I I don't. I don't think we could have done anything. There's there, there's nothing that I, I there's nothing I regret. There's nothing. I just I feel like we're just on a path. We're on a journey, and you know, and and I think having done this now for you know a decade or so, it kind of goes like this. And and I don't see a straight line. And I, I think sometimes you know, like especially when you look at the tech industry, there's this kind of like it's not a straight line. It's like a you know, and I and I and I I'm skeptical of those a lot of those business models and the success or failure of them. And we're starting to see some of the you know the the outfall from those things. You know, with WeWork and those types of companies that just you know shot to the moon. Uh, you know, the, the, probably the biggest regret is did we should we have grown faster? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm not sure about that either. You know, like, you know, I'm not sure about you know. Had we tried to grow faster, we might have been less. Did you raise money? No. So you bootstrapped it yourself. Yeah. And so bootstrapping that business yourself, okay. So that's what I've done with my companies. Yeah. It's all come out of my savings. Yeah. And yeah, that's commitment. Yeah. yeah, I'm I'm prepared to put it all on the line. I'm the yeah. one taking, like you, we're the, we're the ones that are taking massive risk because yeah. we're putting essentially our house on Everybody the line. Everybody else can go find another job. <laughs> yeah. So it comes yeah. back to, for me, it comes back to that loneliness, you know. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the people not acknowledging what you're doing either. Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, well, right, you don't yeah. get it? Yeah, Why do we yeah. don't get it? You know, yeah. for me, it's like, you know, it's like, you you have it's like you have no idea. <laughs> so I've offered people equity. So this is a, I've offered people equity before in the business, you know, uh, you know, or earned equity. And what I found is, uh, you know, this is a, a mistake that I've made. Is what I found is that if you don't ask the individual to put money in their po- in their their hand in their pocket for something, you know, to to uh, to earn that equity, it's meaningless to them because they didn't have to give up anything to get it. Right. You know, and, you know, you, they still got their salary. Right. So and then there was equity incentive. It wasn't it's not meaningful to them. And I think it's just human nature. I've just seen that a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you don't 
if you didn't put up one penny of your own, you didn't. If you didn't risk one thing of your own, right, mm -hmm. then uh, that you wouldn't have. You wouldn't have if it didn't go well. You're, so how do you do that then with, with equity now then what would what approach would you have rather than you know i do equity because i in my business we have an esop yeah and um and there are five kpis yeah attached around anybody anybody getting anything and so if they don't achieve the kpis they don't get them it's yeah. the end of that discussion for me i i right now i'm i'm averse to equity that's not so i you know one way to deal with it is uh, I'll, I'll equity match you put in x or i'll give you a loan right uh, i'll equity match you against money you actually you know put at risk okay um because i think then it you know then it's that's you're, you're paying your way in right mm -hmm. or or you know maybe part of their compensation you know becomes part of their equity uh, mm -hmm. purchase or in which is their choice to do a deduction from their compensation to buy an equity yeah um the, the only other thing is that that I have now is you know, you know on exit I would structure things that on exit you know um, that there would be compensation they'd have to be there and meet certain criteria. Um, but I, I I'm I've had bad experiences with equity that's unearned equity you know un unrisk. You're equity. right. Yeah. People devalue it. Yeah. Yeah. But for me, the whole reason for giving them was that they valued that, and well, they I, I, I saw it as a great amount of value because I yeah. put my hand in my pocket to pay yeah, for yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Exactly. Same as me. You know. Um, I remember when I when I when I first owned shares in a company, whatever the shareholding was, it was tiny, and my dividend for the year was 132 pounds. Yeah, yeah. Now hold on, this is the this is 90s, so 94 maybe. No, maybe maybe 95. I was unrecruitable from that moment onwards because I was a shareholder. Was yeah. a shareholder. Yeah. And I in my mind because I was a shareholder, it didn't matter who approached me, it didn't matter what the deal was. I wasn't going anywhere. Yeah. All for 132 pounds worth of dividend yeah. a year. So Clearly, for so some for you, for some people, it worked. Yeah. So, so it, it was everything. Yeah. It meant everything. You know. But I think people are so like you know. With the, I think the tech industry's ruined a lot of people because yeah, they, they, they've been throwing this stuff at, at their employees, and you know, and and, and I, you know, they, it's all predicated on exiting at a you know at a hundred billion dollars. Right, you know, I mean, and if you don't, you know, like, I mean, look at the fallout that's happening now, and in, in you know, with all the tech companies that you know, they're, I mean, you know, people are based, and you know, and the, their employees are probably getting paid very well. I'm sure they're getting paid very well, but you know, their whole thing is, you know, they think that 80 percent of their compensation is going to be on this exit, right? You know, that they're going to have it at a hundred billion dollars. That's that's sort of, you know, that's why they're there. So when that yeah. when that doesn't happen. You know, they're, you know, they're, you know, they're, they're, how do you retain them after that, right? I was in, I was in Amsterdam before I was here. And in 1999, the end of 1999, I moved there. And we had the tech bubble there. And the, uh, Amsterdam was the home of a lot of American companies that were based in Europe right, and for yeah, tax reasons. Yeah. And so lots of telecoms companies, companies providing lots of you know, digital services and receptionists and secretaries were all millionaires yeah. on paper. Yeah. And I think it stems from that, that, that time yeah. when, you know, you work for a company, well, you know, what do I need, what do I need your help for? I'm a millionaire. Yeah, right. It was almost that nonchalance yeah. about it. And to see those same people a couple of years later earning 2,500 euros a month, yeah. and, and that's actually what they were earning, yeah. and no longer they were millionaires. Their mindset had shifted. Yeah. It, obviously, they went through disappointment, and it, it's been since then, hasn't it? But there, but there are so many people out there that are involved in companies from an equity perspective, are involved in companies that never go anywhere as well. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that. I mean, I just look at the big tech companies, and you know, a lot of people, they, you know, and, and you're also, you're sort of, you're, you're actually creating uh, an, an a, a very strange reality for your own employees. If you set, you know, you're, you're basically setting up everything based on a win, right? And business, as you and I know, isn't always a win, right? And there goes their ups and downs. And and if people haven't given anything up, they're easily going to give up what you or, or devalue, you know, mm -hmm. what, what you're offering them on the upside. If the business isn't in a downturn, in a down cycle, you know, in a recession, you know, so, so like if 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 all they care about is that. You know, and you know the path to that typically is this. You know, and eventually you get there. Then you're creating a very un, you know, possibly uh, unstable situation for the company, right, from an employment perspective, because now everybody's pissed off. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, the, we had a recession. I mean, what are you going to do, right? You yeah. know, something happened. You know, the, I mean, you know, what are you going to do? But but you know, but now they're all the things they thought they had or they were worth uh -huh. is, is now in question. Gone, and, demotivated, yeah, now disloyal. Yeah. Now why am I working it. for this company yeah. now, right? And you know, I, I I was here for that. You know, I mean, but you know, you're also there for the salary and the benefits and all the other things. Right? Oh yeah, like, that's why. Uh, that was I expected that. Yeah, yeah I remember. Uh, I, 
that's a horrible place to be in as a business owner. It, isn't it is, it? but I think you, like you're you're really like when you structure your setup. That's why I'm a bit sort of gun shy about the whole thing because if you're really structuring yourself for potential failure. And, you know, and, and if you're, you know, when a business goes through cycles and most businesses go through cycles, um, you know, if you people aren't prepared to, you know, you, you and I, if you own the business, you, 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 you know, trot on and you carry, you know, and you put your head down and you, because you, know, you know, there's going to be a brighter day. Um, but your employees may not have that horizon, right? You know, mm, I agree. Tell me if I was going to be an entrepreneur starting out and I had a great idea and I'd written an epic business plan and... Have you ever um, seen a business plan that that's failed? Uh, that that where they said that it wouldn't work or a feasibility study? <laughs> I've n- I've never seen an epic business plan ever ever, ever become an, an epic business. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you kind of like you determined what 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 what's, what advice would you give me if I was that young professional, maybe in my early thirties? I'm trying to convince I, you not to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really and, s- and if you could, and if you still wanted to do it after that, I'd say go for it. That's a really interesting. Try and turn people away from it. And when you look at entrepreneurs out there that 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 you admire for the work that they do, who, who do you hold up on a pedestal and say, "Do you know what that guy, that lady?" I, I like. They, they, I mean, they, I look at some of. The, I, I like the people that are changing the world. You know, like okay. I like the people that are, have a greater uh, mission and a greater idea of the way things to be done. I mean, you know, it's it's pretty trite, but I mean, I I look at somebody like Elon Musk. You know, uh-huh. who just does these crazy, outlandish, but but very clever. But he executes. Oh yeah. And and what I find amazing is that you know, like I love the way the markets are. You know, they they, they just want to piss all over Tesla. You know, they're 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 you know fair weather friends. You know, um. But he you know you know and and the, the reality is the guys change in the world he's making a profit doing it you know and uh and, you know and he's doing you know incredible you know, and his company's doing outlandishly futuristic things that are are now pro- and he's changing entire industries and, and accelerating entire you know and so i find that pretty amazing he's doing it um he's doing it in the face of what everybody thinks uh, is not possible or shouldn't be possible you know he's challenging the establishment they don't like it and he's doing it anyway one of the things i like most about elon musk is when he um sold paypal and he got his check or wherever much it was and he had to invest he said that he had to two choices it was to go to his spacex or tesla yeah. um and if it all went to tesla they'll be okay if it all went to spacex that would be but okay he couldn't support both of them and he did but then you know he went and stepped on his mate's sofa and then he moved into yeah. his office you know yeah. that that is a guy that's yeah. got yeah. balls of steel oh, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. You know? And, and that's what, and you know as is a little entrepreneur when you see that, I mean, he's playing at a level that's, you know, an ungodly level. And, uh, you know, I mean, you can see the, I mean, you can see the pain in him. Like, if you look, I mean, you, you know, I think probably yeah, yeah. some people see success. I see the pain in him. Like, you know, the, like I see the, the, the toil, the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, because he's, I mean, the guy's, he's got like five, you know, companies doing five crazy things. Right. Um, and they're all under pressure and uh, yeah, I, I see the pain in him, but, but he does it anyway. And that's what I, I admire that. <laughs> It's really interesting sitting brainstorming and chatting with you about this kind of stuff because to sit with someone who's who's of, of virtually the same age as me to 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 be in fairly similar positions you know you're in a protect how old were you when you left the corporate world I was uh I guess 39 yeah 40 Okay, so I was 42. Yeah. So, yeah, that was yeah. interesting. That's really interesting. Um, and then going into it, so to be kind of like, are you going to sell your business? One day, yeah. Yeah? Yeah, I, I, don't, I think you always have to set up your business for sale or to bring in, but you can't, you know, you can't exist in a bubble. I mean, I, you know, the, we, we, I've got lots, we have lots of, you know, interesting opportunities. Um, but I haven't found, uh, you know, for me, the culture of what we do is super important. And money, you know, there's a lot of big money out there that wants to do, but but I think they'll ruin the business. And, you know, mm. I, I don't, I, even if they own a, you know, it has to be, a, I want a partner that is like-minded, that understands our business and understands the, why we do things. Because I don't always do things, you know, we're not, it's not all about money today. It's about creating value for the future, you know. And I think, you know, money wants money today. And that time horizon differential is a problem. You know, and it will manifest itself very quickly. So, do you, do you have a price? 
Um, if someone offered you an yeah. amount of money, is there yeah. an amount of money that you'd get? Yes, okay. and, I'm not, and the answer is no. I'm not going to tell you what it is. No, 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 I, I, I wouldn't, <laughs> no. Of course, I have a price. I wouldn't dare ask. I have a price, unless you yeah. wanted to tell me that it was. No, I have, a, I have a price, but it has nothing to do with lifestyle or anything like that. You know, like I, I, it was funny because I, I come from a very middle class background. Both my parents were teachers at the time. You know, and you know, um, I I was I'd made it when I was 22. You know, like I had my, my corporate job, I had my sports car, I, I owned my own little house, in my little apartment. You know, and I was like, this is the greatest thing ever, right? You know, and that's, and I thought I thought you know, but then I've got everything I, I you know I, I need, right? And I, I felt very satisfied, you know, financially. I, you know, you can only drive one car, you can only live yeah. in one house. You know, so for me, uh, money is more about freedom. It's about um, no pun intended, but it's about the like not. I, I want to not worry about money, um, not because I want to buy a jet, but because I want I want to not worry about money, mm-hmm. and I, I want you know, and I want and I and I so I don't I don't I don't like money. I don't like the idea of money. I, you know, I, uh, but I don't like not having it either. So is, uh, you, uh, we're going to end shortly, but I want to ask these last few questions. Do you, because we're the same age, do you have a different relationship with money than you did twenty years ago? Do things matter to you, like when we were younger? A nice car mattered. Yeah. Um, certain clothes mattered. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Look at and me. I mean, I, I, yeah. No, I don't. No, I don't. Yeah. Because I, I, I have no interest. I'm, I'm married to somebody that thinks I'm absolutely bonkers, but I absolutely have no interest. I'm just as happy in a pair of jeans and a pair of trainers. Yeah. I don't need a label on my T-shirt. Yeah, I'm, yeah, you know, I'm just, I'm just, it doesn't matter. Does, does my phone I work? I think you just aged both of us. But uh, no, but uh, you, know, I, you know what the thing is? I've, I had... Does your wife dress you yet? No, I don't, <laughs> no she, she just doesn't like to be seen with me. <laughs> Um, no, but you know what? I, I think um, I, I have everything I want in my life, right? You know, like like I don't I don't need another car. I don't need another. You know, like I I kind of have. You know, the, the things that interest me now are like you know like you know if I want to go out and buy a guitar. You know, like I would start to play guitar with my son, right? You know, but you know, but you know, the, you know, but it's not that's not that's not a for, you know it's not a formidable amount of money to. But but I get more enjoyment out of things like that than you know than having you know like I, I I'm past you know, the, you know, the red car and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, and I think it's great. It's fun, to, but it's fun to have the, but it, I actually found it, more, it gave me more. It actually, it actually stressed me out more having more things, you know? So like when we saw, so what, what, when, when I sold my last company, you know, I went and bought the car I always wanted and, you know, did a few of those types. Not nothing crazy, but you know, enough. And it'd be, I, and I remember waking up one morning and I, it, it was stressing me out. <laughs> these really? things like, yeah, like I was worried about the car getting scrapped, you know, all these things. Yeah. Right? All, it was just stupid stuff like that. And I'm like, I never worried about that stuff before, you know, and, and so it became, you know, it became a burden. So, you know, I'm, I'm less worried about that stuff. I'm more interested in using money for freedom, for travel, for, you know, like we spend two months of the year, you know, in California, right? And, you know, and I still work a little bit, but, um, but that's pressure, you know, that's worth everything to me. I'd, I'd rather spend every penny we have you know you know having two months with the family when they're young you know um where it's kind of uninterrupted and you know in a nice pleasant mm, environment you know. okay last question 2020 new decade new year all this kind of stuff fancy things are being said at the moment you know as we head to right towards the end of this and when you look at your business in 2020 do you have have you got sucked into the grand plans the what are we going to do for the next decade that's going to be amazing um or are you kind of like on a path and you're just going to be more of the same? We're on a path, um, but we are, we're going to realize a lot of the work that we've been doing for the last 18 to 24 months, you know, so we'll have all of our brands up and running and uh, we are going to expand regionally and internationally. That's what's going to happen next year, but um, that's the path that we're on. Um, we're not going to explode, but we're going to, we're going to step foot in a meaningful way in other, other territories. Ian O'Han, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been an absolute joy talking to you. Thank you so much. Right, so hopefully you enjoyed that episode with the awesome Ian O'Han. What a great entrepreneur he is, great ideas and strategies that he deploys. And also, those pearls of wisdom are just so valuable to all of us. Look, Ian plus many more there on the podcast. So if you want to see other episodes, all you've got to do is click over there. You can pick out other episodes that you want to watch. But if you want to subscribe and get every single podcast that I produce coming to you week in, week out, so that you don't miss a thing, click there right now. Go on, click there right now and you'll get everything, the lot, and you won't miss a beat. Go on, I dare you to do it right there, right now. I'll see you soon.